That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. Dr. Dave Miller here. Michelle, what's up? My co-host. Hey, hey Nice happening? to be here. It's good. It's, it's a beautiful day outside. Fall, fall weather is actually, it's, it's finally here. Yeah, it's, it's properly fall. It was yeah. six degrees it's centigrade. Fall. Oh, it's like 14 or 15 and like full sun. It was beautiful. I just took the fur baby out for a walk and it was so lovely for lunch. So got some nice. vitamin D. Yeah. Okay. We have so a pretty awesome today? guest though today. Yeah. yeah. We are going to talk about how to begin to change the landscape for cancer patients after their more intensive treatment. Um, we have Dr. Martha Sharp, naturopathic doctor. Um, she practices in Ontario, Canada. And when she was completing um, accredited uh adjunctive cancer care naturopathic residency program, she was diagnosed with cancer herself. Um, and that personal experience with the lack of support and education that was provided to those post-cancer and witnessing this within her patients as well, she really began to dedicate to filling in this gap and rewriting cancer survivorship with a more comprehensive, individualized, and holistic care. Um, we're super stoked to have her here to engage in this conversation. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Martha. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this today. I just feel like it's, we all sort of know someone that's been affected by cancer. So I think it's, it's just so relevant. So thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it seems like, you know, it's always a good place to start, I guess, when we get to meet people, but it seems especially relevant in talking to someone like you, maybe you could tell us a little bit like about how your journey, uh, you know, to where, to where you are today, sort of, uh, really involved yourself in your own, uh, your own struggles. Yeah. So, or challenges, um, I should say, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for you. Like, you know, getting, getting, um, that diagnosis while in, so I want to make sure I'm good with my words here. <laughs> 
Um, and I, I mean, I think the thing is that everyone has such a different experience with the cancer experience. Um, cancer as a term is so heterogeneous anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really can be almost more appropriately um, almost called a collection of different diseases that's going on um, just under this umbrella of cancer. So I think everyone's um, experience is so different. Um, mine in particular was just so fluky and interesting because I was doing an active residency in supportive cancer care, a uh, naturopathic residency. Um, so it was a bit of a um, an added crash course, if you will, in the whole um, sort of supportive cancer landscape. But I I actually found it so eye-opening because having already been a naturopath practicing in that setting where the majority of the people that I saw in practice were going through cancer or at some phase of the cancer journey, a lot of people were looking for prevention as well or post um, treatment care. Um, But it's, it's, I mean, you could say this about anything, but um, you really don't know what something's like until you go through it. And so it just, I'm actually so as challenging as it was um, for different reasons, but um, I'm actually so grateful because it allowed me to get a firsthand, that firsthand experience, which I think is so invaluable from the perspective of being able to relate to people that I work with better um, and just understand the nuances of, you know, what, what their days look like, what their nights look like, like Mm -hmm. everything in between that one-on-one appointment that you're having with someone, right? Because that's where people um, get lost. Yeah. You could say that about about anything. So um, yeah. And it, it also just highlighted the, the, um, the gaps in care, because I mean, you sort of talk, talk about, you know, going through cancer treatment and then being done. And prior to my own experience, I always sort of thought of it probably how most people think about it, which is, you know, ringing the bell and someone being, you know, so thrilled to do that and then walking away and sort of shutting that door on that chapter but it's it's actually so not like that Mm. (laughs) um and I never would have understood that part of it and I don't think that I would have really been focusing on survivorship care as much as I am now without that experience so I'm actually quite quite grateful for it is that something that's not quite the survivorship part, that whole ringing the bell, walking out the door, next chapter. Is that not something that is taught in more of like the naturopathic kind of oncology things? Like, do they talk about that? Or is it more just the actual treatment itself? I think where the big, so definitely both, but I think that, um, we, you know, naturopathic medicine included we we get sucked into that sort of um 
it just trend of siloing things mm. um, and not really um, maybe understanding transitional zones as well. Um, and maybe what the obstacles are in in moving from one phase of care to another. Okay. And again, I don't think it's exclusive to the cancer world, but I um, it just is more maybe pronounced because I think the focus in in the and I and by all means, I am very, I think, a lot of people think naturopathic doctors are very anti-conventional medicine. Um, and, and it really could not be farther from the truth. I think most naturopaths are very for conventional medicine. It's just that different ways of approaching healthcare have their, their strengths and weaknesses and mm -hmm. focus, they, they focus on certain phases or, mm -hmm. um, you know, treatment like aspects of care um mm -hmm. but from a survivorship perspective i think just what is so glaring um just with that gap in care um topic is the we sort of over emphasize the act of treatment and it's sort of um ballooned out into this warrior phase um kind of that analogy of this warrior and fighter and it's it's very emotion driven and that's how a lot of the you know the messaging that we hear about active treatment and, and the, this you're so strong and warrior and all of this and then all of a sudden you're done your treatment and the messaging just becomes oh so you're fine now like, I'm mm -hmm. so glad you're back to normal. Okay, mm -hmm. let's go have do whatever with that that they used to do with that person beforehand. Meanwhile, it it doesn't really happen like that. That there's not really a jump from, you know, being in active treatment and then all of a sudden not. It's just there, there's such a gap in um in care for many reasons. And I think there are so many reasons and let me sort of explain some of them. So yes, please for one, um, the definition survivor is very unclear in many organizations. It's sort of defined as anyone um, after diagnosis, whether or not they're in active treatment, whether they are living with long-term cancer, whether they are finished treatment with no evidence of disease. So it's a little bit confusing um, for people in general, but that more importantly leads to, there's a lot of difficulties with researching it and implementing different sort of standards or protocols with respect to survivorship because it's so vague mm. and encompasses such a broad spectrum of people in that journey. So the definition is unclear. The needs are very unclear because someone that is, you know, finished their active treatment, they have no evidence of disease, has very different needs than someone who is living with cancer long-term, right? And another thing that is a problem, and, and I can really only speak for the Canadian healthcare system just because that's where I 
practice. Um, so I'm, I'm just more familiar with that, of course, but um, there seems to be such an abrupt, um, you know, cessation of care with respect to active treatment. Mm. You know, you kind of finish your treatment, you ring the bell, and then you walk away and you sort of go from this feeling of active being, being that active, proactive, um, you know, person and phase of care to almost really immediately inactive, it feels. Um, so people can feel quite abandoned and there's not a great transition of care from that oncology team to the primary care provider. At least that's how it works in Canada, um, where, you know, eventually the primary care um, general practitioner sort of takes over your healthcare going forward. Um, mm -hmm. but, but they don't really get any communication, um, or at least that's the feedback from the people that I work with and was my experience as well. Um, and so you're kind of um, almost left in the dark, both from a, a, a personal perspective, but also your healthcare provider. Um, they don't have the appropriate training. They don't have the appropriate resources per se, unless they're actively seeking that out. Right. Um, and interestingly, there was a study um, in 2014 from the American Society of Clinical Oncology, just a survey of primary care providers um, and I think it was about 55, only 55% of them knew about the long-term cardiac complications from anthracycline drugs, which are those um, like doxorubicin, epirubicin, they're very commonly used in so many cancer care protocols. Um, and that's like one of the main long-term things that you want to look for. So if primary care providers aren't aware of this, how are people, you know, able to get that appropriate care that they're looking for, which then leads to people really not really. So instead of being excited and thrilled to ring the bell, there's maybe a component of that, but there's also a lot of fear. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of actually feelings of abandonment to some degree. I mean, they're not really being abandoned per se by the healthcare system, but um, it just is a lot more complicated than one would think. I was wondering about that. I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that when you're going through active treatment, you have all these people who are rallying behind you yeah. and supporting you. And then it just goes full stop. And like yeah. how, how weird that must feel to feel like you have this sense of support and community to just like losing all that contact, losing all that communication, losing that connection and just kind of being, being like, okay, you're done. Bye. Right. And yeah. I was like, and I don't know if that's an accurate representation, but as you were talking, I just kept being this visual of that and being like, that's gotta be tough for someone. Like, yes, they're excited, but all of a sudden they probably just feel really alone. Very alone. And it almost reminds me, I mean, I am not a runner. I have never run a marathon or anything to that degree, but girl. it reminds me of like someone training and training, running for mm -hmm. however many hours. It's like how much goes into that mm -hmm. process and people exactly rallying around you. And then you cross the finish line and, and everyone just kind of gives you a high five and then like moves on with the world. It's so strange. And it's purpose. Just stark, stark difference, like such a stark difference of how your Very. life looked, right? And yeah. definiteness, 
sorry, sorry. No, indefiniteness and that, that, of, of purpose seems to be come yeah. to mind for me too, right? Like, cause it's like, okay, like, cause I've talked to a couple other people about cancer. So you got this appointment, you got the, and you're like, you're doing all the things and you got this and the follow up and that, and then, boom. right? Like, the silence. Yeah. It just feels like this weird <laughs> void. You're just shoving yeah. into a void after you're like, this is, you know. <laughs> Uh, and actually that's what that's what my experience was like like hmm. I I almost so I rang the bell I mean I did and I was excited congratulations by the way to, Thank to you. reaching that stage of your of your healing process <laughs> Thank you. but at the same time I wanted to stay hmm. because there was no room for again everyone like was high-fiving everyone and like and then they're like, okay, bye. But you, there's no processing and it's, and then you walk out the door and you, you literally are in this twilight zone. And, and we were like, okay, so like, what, what do we go do now? Mm-hmm. I mean, so we went home and like ordered pizza and yes, naturopaths eat pizza. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we just kind of like, twiddled our thumbs for the it was this it was so strange and it almost goes from um this very um feeling like you're you're almost held up by this Mm. community sort of almost like a um like a raft right Mm -hmm. like that rescue raft and you're just kind of floating along everyone's underneath you carrying you over the rapids or whatever um and then all of a sudden all of that life support kind of falls away and you're just kind of floundering Mm. on your own with no direction um and the and the and that brings me to like how do we support someone in that phase so the active cancer treatment phase is very much about um other people doing it for you it's very Mm. kind of passive for the patient if you will I mean definitely there's a lot of you know things you can be doing yourself and that's a a topic for another day absolutely there's a lot that you can be doing that's very you know proactive but in general the feeling is you know everyone's kind of doing things for you you kind of just show up to whatever your schedule is that they print out for you. It's like Hmm. amazing. Um, And then all of a sudden you don't have a schedule anymore. And the shift of um, trying to think of the way of saying this, but the shift of action becomes less external and it all feels like it's fallen on you because Mm -hmm. then you have to be, And again, in Canada, we don't have things like patient navigators or care um, coordinators as much as as the states maybe, but but you really kind of have to then become overnight your own care coordinator almost. And, And then the shift in responsibility becomes very much on you. And it's like, what on earth am I even supposed to do now Hmm. and a lot of the messaging is and by no means is this all the time but I hear it a lot um is that you know you know go home there's nothing you can do just go back to your old lifestyle cancer is not your fault it's not anyone's fault but 
the messaging there is not really true. There's a lot that someone can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings the power back to your to yourself as well versus feeling so out of control and spiraling in this, you know, twilight zone void knowing that there are things that you can do is very empowering and bring some of that control back. Um, but that, that messaging is very wrong. There is a lot that we can do. Mm-hmm. And so most survivorship support from a conventional setting, at least in Canada focuses mostly on, you know, surveillance, which is, and all of these things are very, very foundational and, and a must. Okay. Um, So those are things like surveillance, you know, getting your screenings done regularly and properly, high risk exposure counseling, like smoking cessation, stuff like that. Um, Nutrition, for sure, mindfulness, movement, lifestyle, those kinds of things. But I would argue that that there's so much more that can be done, um, in particular from a naturopathic perspective. So. I mean, we know that cancer is not for the most part genetic, it's for the most part epigenetic, which means, you know, those factors outside of our DNA blueprint that actually affect gene expression. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things could be, you know, the air we breathe, environmental exposures, the food that we're eating, stress management, all of those things can impact genetic expression. Um, and so if, you, if you're thinking of cancer or recurrence prevention or prevention in general, from that perspective, which we know is true, then you can see how we're missing so many pieces in right. that survivorship sort of model. Um, Mm. And from a naturopathic perspective, those things can include things like inflammation, oxidative stress, structural integrity, um, which David, you probably, I think, do a lot of that kind of fascial work and, and things like that. Hormonal impact, a lot of environmental exposure work, microbiome, mitochondrial function, So as a naturopath that has additional training in looking at the body from the whole kind of integrated system that it is, I think that there's just so much to offer that people aren't really told about and Mm -hmm. and don't have access to and aren't getting, but we actually know is important from the research. So there's this huge gap in in care and in education and, and implementation of care. Um, And I mean, part of the problem is you can have all of this research being done and it takes years, if not decades to implement in practice, as we know. Um, But again, that's where working with someone like a naturopath, who's sort of already trained in looking at the body from that way is so helpful in really closing that gap of care. Mm -hmm. What would you say, what would you say you would, would be the ideal thing? Like what would cancer survivorship ideally look like coming out of that active phase? Like, is there, is there like a sequence of things that you would say would like, these would be a good sequence of events to kind of occur, like mental health support or like, is there certain parameters you would like to see implemented or how, what the ideal would be like? 
Well, and and you know what? Thank you for asking that because I'm I meant to mention this before. A big part of naturopathic medicine is indiv individualizing a protocol to the person sitting in front of you. Right. And you can have, you know, 10 people that have gone through breast cancer treatment sitting in front of you, and they all kind of need to start maybe at a different place, cool. just based on what they're, um, what they're dealing with individually. Um, but in general, I think, you know, it's interesting to think about cancer compared to other sort of health, like very aggressive, acute health conditions like a broken leg or a heart attack or something like that, where there's actually so much focus on recovery. And with mm -hmm. cancer, there's none. That's it true. It blows my mind. <laughs> and like, think about that. You're just kind of, I mean, it, you just ring the bell and walk out the door. <laughs> it's so strange. And it's such, it's such a time. So to answer your question, I think the first phase of care um, should be to recover and like deeply nourish. We actually know that um, cancer itself, the process, but also different cancer treatments can cause frank nutrient deficiencies. Like we know that and people aren't. Really I didn't know that until you told just told that. me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what are, can, can you tell me what are some of the most common? Some of the most common are vitamin D mm. for sure. Vitamin D is also a, it's a differentiating agent, which means it helps more or less help cells kind of become who they're supposed to be, helps them replicate and develop properly. So of course that's important, yeah. um, but vitamin D is a big one that can be um, deficient post-cancer treatment. Vitamin C, there's a lot of research on, um, in particular in the advanced cancer setting, how vitamin C, some people's levels can be almost in line with scurvy levels. It's, it's really fascinating um, and, and scary. Uh, magnesium is a huge one too. And some, some treatments can cause, you know, profound magnesium deficiency. Hmm. Um, carnitine is another one. So, and some of these are things that we can test for. Some of them we don't have great tests for, um, and people aren't even getting these things tested, you hmm. know, it, um, but not even from a testing perspective, even from a let's just step back for a second and have a scheduled period of rest. And yeah. recovery. like people aren't even really advised that that's a appropriate because we're sort of expected and not, not from our healthcare teams per se, but, but from ourselves, from seeing other people going through cancer from our friends and family, it's not intentional by any means, but there's sort of that underlying expectation to bounce back to normal. Mm -hmm. It's almost right. not un, unsimilar to uh, postpartum, right? We're expecting mm -hmm. to kind of bounce back, which we all know is a not really a thing, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we don't even, we're not even given this space to sort of 
do that. And, mm. and I think so, so to answer your question, we do need an acute post-treatment recovery period that focuses on restoration, nourishment, um, and processing. And I think processing is a good thing to bring up here. It's a problem in our modern society where we sort of don't give people the time and space to process things anymore. We're mm-hmm. just running from one thing to another and suppressing so much because we don't have the time to um, process. And I think that's so harmful because you lose so much of yourself when you can't integrate things properly. Um And so just giving people the time and space to do that, mind you, that's in an ideal setting, right? People are also have a huge financial hit going through cancer treatment. They've taken a lot of time off of work. They need to go back to work. It's so there are a lot of obstacles, but I think from an ideal perspective, that acute post post treatment recovery is so important. I mean, people are coming in to see me looking for you know, these massive detox programs and um, like juice cleanses and stuff like that immediately post-cancer. And I think it's only setting someone up for failure really because the focus needs to be so much more on nourishment and recovery. Mm-hmm. It sounds very and, like yin, right? Like if we just yeah, talk like- Very old, yin, yes. Yeah, yeah, totally okay. yin, okay. focused. Yeah. Even from a movement perspective, I mean- Again, it's kind of frustrating because people just don't, people are sort of left on their own looking to information online, which as we all know is, can be great, can also be a recipe for disaster. There's so much misinformation. But for example, if someone that just finished cancer treatment goes and looks on the NCCN, which is National Comprehensive Cancer Network guidelines for exercise in survivorship. I think they just changed it to 150 to 300 minutes of moderate um, to intense cardiovascular activity. I mean, if someone did that immediately post-cancer treatment, they would be on the floor. So I there's even also do that. And I haven't even gone through cancer. I know. <laughs> me, me neither. So yes, that's there's, there's so there's a time and a place again, yeah. even for survivorship recommendations and I think there's just no support in that setting and no no one to help people navigate I think the navigation is such a big part but and then so the acute post-cancer recovery and then it moves into a lot of gut work for sure I mean the gut takes a massive hit with any cancer treatment yeah um looking at any long-term side effects that are persistent and everyone has different ones there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving into sort of really preventative, more aggressive, but there's, there's a, there's a transition even in, in survivorship that people have to move through. It's not just you jump to running a marathon again, just Mm -hmm. going back to that running. I don't know why I'm bringing running up today, but um yeah, we just, it just blows my mind that there's all these other sort of massive acute health conditions that happen and people are like told they cannot leave their bed 
and just doesn't, not that anyone post-cancer should not leave their bed, but I'm just saying there's no sort of rest. It's just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate you punctuating that. Like I understand. And I think Dave and I appreciate that you highlighted the fact of individualized medicine. Cause it is always gonna be very specific. Not everyone has the same type of cancer. Not everyone's was as aggressive. Mm-hmm. Not everyone went through the same type of active treatment because yeah. different things are going to have different kinds of treatment. So the recovery phase is going to be very individualized. And just like you said, 10 people with breast cancer can have a very different recovery phase, um, or survivorship phase. Um, but I like that there is at least like a highlight on nourishing rest processing and then gut health. And then, so at least people kind of have an understanding, like there's still a process to that. And, you know, there's a hierarchy, even if it still becomes individualized within that hierarchy. Um, and I I appreciate that there's that pause before you jump into like something more aggressive again. Cause I think people forget that if you've recovered from something aggressive, you probably need to chill out a little bit. And I think Mm -hmm. that's not how our world operates. Our our world operates in, in like fast, 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 high pace all the time. And we take that for granted that your body needs to rest. Well, and I, again, going back to just like navigating the immense amount of information out there, Mm -hmm. which is why naturopaths are so uniquely positioned to fill this gap in care because people are actually wanting complementary and integrative care when they're going through cancer. I think one report that I read recently showed um, that 70% of people with cancer entering survivorship are reporting unmet needs. Like they're Mm -hmm. just needing more, uh, like deeper people that go through cancer want optimization of their health not just survivorship, like survivorship just good enough. is not good <laughs> enough for people anymore mm-hmm. yeah. because they're thinking, well, obviously like there might've been risk factors that I maybe wasn't aware of before. How can I be so much more preventative? Yeah. And they're just not getting that information, but right. naturopaths are a, a, you know, provider that have the knowledge, skills, and judgment to give people holistic, evidence-informed, tailored advice that is, and they're able to navigate all of that insane amount of misinformation out there as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because a a lot of people are seeking out complementary and integrative care, but maybe not getting it from the right places. Right. That stat is startling though. 70% of people don't feel like you said seven, like seven, zero, seven, zero. I think that report was from 2008 and they also were talking about of that 70%. I think the majority of that 70% were more likely to seek out complementary and integrative care as well, Mm -hmm. because they felt like there was something so lacking in there. In their care. And it's also so frustrating because this is sort of spinning off in another direction, but a lot of guidelines in the States, like ASCO, for example, um, I think it was ASCO, um, it might have been the American College of Surgeons, uh, the Committee on Cancer. Actually, it's like a advice and a recommendation to give everyone finishing cancer treatment a survivorship care plan. Like they mm. deserve that. It's just like a outline of their treatment, what medicate, like what medications they had, risk factors going forward, 
um, potential long-term adverse effects that would be much more likely and people, and maybe that is more um, accepted and, and done in the States, but I have only seen one person here ever have a survivorship care plan. And, and that's what a primary care provider needs to be able to you know, assess and monitor and, you know, do adequate surveillance on someone going forward. And we're actually just not even getting it. A lot of these things have been recommended years ago. Mm. It's just that survivorship guidelines aren't put into practice. But again, on your note, it's just, there's so much difficulty with it being so individualized. Yeah. So there almost needs to be one for every different type of cancer and treatment in person. And so it, it is complicated, but, but it's a gap in care for sure. Yeah. Martha, can you give us, um, before we wrap things up, thank you for this awesome talk. Um, give us maybe like your top three tips for people who are maybe wrapping up active care and transitioning more into a survivorship kind of state of their recovery. What would you be like your top three things that people should be aware of or begin to seek out? I think that my answer might may surprise you, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> the first is that I think people are so wrapped up in that um, thinking positive mindset. Um, a lot of people come in thinking that it was their thoughts that caused their cancer. Um, and yes, mindset can play a role in health. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the more important thing to remind people of is feeling it all and letting yourself feeling it all and not su- trying to suppress, you know, anger, fear, negative emotions. It's not helpful. Yeah. Um, it only creates this cycle of toxic positivity in the body. Yeah. And when you're suppressing that kind of stuff, uh, because someone actually asked me the other day how they can stop thinking negatively. And Mm -hmm. I was like, don't like just (laughs) approach, but let it come in. Why, what are you, what are the fears around it? And the more that you let things like that in, the more that you're able to process again, talking about processing and understanding them and, and understanding where they come from and all of that and letting and working towards letting them go over time. So I think feeling it all is my first tip. The second one is bringing back the joy. A lot of the narrative after, you know, we've done all of the acute care and, and naturopathic treatments and, and it's sort of, um, I've been working for someone with a while or, or for a while, uh, on, almost all of the time it comes back to someone feels so kind of lost in themselves and empty and they don't even know who they are anymore. We just live these lives that are, um, we put ourselves on hold a lot. Um, And I think part of the healing process, I guess you could say this for anything, um, is actually just peeling back those expectations, whether they're your own, whether they're societal, whether they're wherever they're coming from, and actually finding those parts of yourself again that maybe have been forgotten over the years and doing things that bring you joy again. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've forgotten how to play. We've forgotten how to, you know, prioritize 
joy and the things that really fill us up. We don't even know what they are anymore. When I ask people, it's so sad, but I think that's a really important part of reintegrating back into your old, old self again. And by old, I mean, in a new way. Mm -hmm. Um, the third is that something is better than nothing. I think we get, especially with people that I work with, we get so focused on doing on overcomplicating and like how many tablespoons of, of, of turmeric versus, you know, tablespoons of coconut oil, or we get so wrapped up in the minutia that we forget that. And if we're not doing it perfectly, we just abandon it all and it's not good enough. And and we just abandon it all. Or from an exercise perspective, you know, if we're not going, whatever our goals are going to the gym twice a week, we just give it up. I think remember that something is better than nothing. um, And just be gentle with yourself. And, you know, we can't be perfect all the time, but also that, um, you know, we have good days and bad days and, um, just simplify things, not overcomplicate at all because, because it's just, it's not really helpful. Just adds to the stress of everything. No, I appreciate those tips. And I think those are really important things. I I think I've seen that in clinical practice a lot too, where people, feel like they have to keep a brave face on, but they're feeling all the stuff and not acknowledging it. And if you ask Mm -hmm. them what brings you joy, they have, they give you like a blank deer in headlights face. And you're just like, Oh, that sucks. Right. Like, so, Mm -hmm. so I feel you on saying that because it's not even just with cancer. It's for people all over the place, but I feel like Mm -hmm. those are really important things for when you're coming out of a recovery of something quite traumatic and, and, and dramatic and, and difficult. Um, I think those are three really important steps and, and it, none of it was about taking something. It was more about connecting to your true self again. Yeah. I think that's what we all need really. Yeah. Um, you more know, of. It's I get a, a, just a, a real, like kind of healthy yin buzz from the whole chat. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about running, but you're not, you, you're like, I'm not a runner. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. well, I guess that makes sense in a way. Watch, you're going to become a runner now and start doing marathons. <laughs> but, but it's very, it's like um, what I got a good sort of like overall sense of like yin from this, like and and almost a kind of uh, like a a rebirth is kind of what goes on after. And what do you do after birth? You need to rest. Yeah. And and like introspective, like look inside for joy and and you know be kind to yourself. I don't I not. Yeah, you know, I, I I just get this nice yin buzz, rebirth kind of yeah. buzz from what you're doing, and I I think uh, I think it's great. I like I like well, your approach to this, and I like that. I mean, I not not that I'm happy that you had a personal experience with this, but I appreciate, like you said, that it gave you this foresight and this under deeper understanding of what really matters in these moments, and um, I feel that, and I and I like that it's more about the simplicity and and, mm-hmm. and really like Dave, you said it's it's going through this rebirth with care, love, and just like TLC. Well, and it, just to um, just to sort of wrap that up too, um, we're just, and I'm sure you both. I mean, everyone is almost. You could say this about everyone. We're racing. We're just racing through life, mm. trying to like move on to the next thing and racing towards 
certain goals and then when we reach them we just race towards we're just always racing somewhere yeah. and in in all of that we're exhausted trying to sort of live up to these expectations wherever they may come from and losing so much of ourselves along the way and and just being so exhausted in that rat race of yeah just trying to be something that you know you think you want to be or you think that you're expected to be and and you're just not or you're you're not there and I think that's such a theme in survivorship people are racing to be this sort of warrior hero but most people don't feel like that mm. all they need is to be given permission to rest like mm. that's what we need for sure yeah Martha thank you so much for coming on the show I want to give a little shout out to a few things that you're offering to the public. Um, you do have a free downloadable guide, five tips to improve energy after cancer, which is available on your website, marthasharpnd.com. We'll make sure to post that in um, our podcast uh, right up. And then you also have an upcoming course, which is really interesting. And I want to just give a, a quick two minutes to tell people about this course. It's coming, it's launching November, early November, correct? Can you tell everybody a little bit about um, this Foundations for Life After Cancer course? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually so excited about it. Um, it's so what I'm starting with is um, a nutrition, the nutrition aspect of, of Foundations for Life After Cancer. It's all about demystifying what to eat after cancer? How am I supposed to eat? It's about simplifying everything, removing all of that fear around food, um, sort of moving towards um, food freedom and demystifying myths and all of that, all of the things that people come to me asking about from a cancer prevention nutrition perspective. Beautiful. So it's going to be a three or four module course. You can do it at your own pace. Um, I'm really excited about it. Awesome. I think that's a wonderful resource. It's really great that you're putting it out there. Um, so I hope that goes really well. This is your first one, you. first launch, right? This is my first launch. I think it will be live. Um, so yeah, super excited about it. And um, hope that some people will, will listen in and see what it's all about. I think it's worth the listen. I hope people who are listening and if you are dealing with cancer, know somebody with cancer or even like just preventative medicine itself. And you just want to understand how to optimize health for yourself and make it as simple as possible. I feel like this isn't, this sounds like a good tangible program, probably for most people, cancer or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It's about so, the basics and, and, really. and tearing everything down no, to I prevention, think it's right? Yeah. Prevention is the best medicine. It really is. Yeah. Dr. Martha Sharp, thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciated this conversation yes. and how it really grounded us in understanding what really matters and where we really need to focus when it comes to like honoring ourselves, even if regardless of where you are in your healing journey, I think this was a really good reminder for everybody, but specifically for cancer care, that survivorship, I think we all need to start to, um, what was the wording we used, uh, at the beginning kind of revamp how it's approached. And I think your approach is quite beautiful. Well, thank you guys so much for having me.